So Judges 17, uh, let's go ahead and read our verses here, verses 1 through 6 to get us started, and then we'll jump on from there on out, okay? So once again, Judges 17, starting in verse 1, page 216 in the church Bibles. Let me read, pray, and then we'll jump in. It starts like this. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoken in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I, I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we, we thank you again, that God, that we never have to guess how you lead us. We never have to guess how you guide us. We never have to, have to guess how we can center our lives on you because, Father, you give us your word. So God, help us to do just that. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be humble. Help us to be grateful because, God, you do speak to us. And God, for myself again, God, any human wisdom that comes from me will only distract but God, help your son to be exalted in every way possible. And friends, before I close this in prayer, would you say this prayer to God? Father, help me to believe in you and live for you. Father, help me to believe in you and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in college, uh, I studied engineering, and I hated it. Now, the reason I did it was because it's what my parents wanted, so my parents gave me the holy trinity for Asian careers. You're either going to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, okay? So I chose engineering route because it seemed the easiest route to take. I was wrong. I was put on academic probation twice, and I was just struggling throughout school. I was a very poor student. Now, also, at the same time, I was also a leader in my church. I was active in my college Christian fellowship. I led worship. I led a small group Bible study. I was actively trying to reach out to my classmates and invite them to church. And one of these classmates of mine, his name was Barry. And Barry and I shared a lot of classes together because we were in the same program. But unlike me, he was smart. Okay, he was very smart. And there was countless times where we would study together, we would do our homework together, and it just got too hard or I got too lazy to work it out. And I would ask Barry, hey, Barry, you know, can I go ahead and, like, just see how you did your homework, pretending the whole time that I wanted to learn how he did it when I was actually just copying it word for word. So here I am, cheating off his work, and at the same time, I'm inviting him to church every single weekend and letting him know how important God is to me. And I remember that in one of our conversations, he said this to me, you know, Kenson, you know, I don't think I need God. I'm just as moral as you. Ouch, okay? That hurt. In that moment, I was living as a Christian 
atheist. Now, what do I mean by Christian atheist? Let me give you a def- definition here. You know, a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist. You know, recently a survey came out by Gallup that said three out of four people in America believe in God, and seven out of ten people believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That is a staggering percentage. The 70 to 80 percent of our country claim to know God and Jesus Christ, yet when we look out into the world, many of them, many of us are not living in light of the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is a Christian atheist. You have a person on one hand who claims to know and love God, yet on the other hand, they live any way they want. That you believe in the forgiveness of God, yet you lash out in resentment towards others. That you believe that God is holy, yet you indulge in porn and you sleep around. That you believe that God exists, but your prayer life isn't what it should be. That you believe that God has made all people in his image, yet you stay silent about abortion, immigration, homelessness, and racism. To be a Christian atheist is to live in this hypocrisy and inconsistency. It is to claim to know God, yet there is no surrender in your life. There is no repentance, no sorrow over sin, no joy in his presence, no fruit in your life, no transformation. And throughout the New Testament, we are warned of living this way. Let me just show you three verses here. Titus 1.16 says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. John 1, John 1, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The context in James is that, the, that you have people here who claim to know God, but their faith lacks works. And the author James here is saying, you're no better than a demon. A demon knows everything about God, but they don't live for him. Notice here with these verses that if you are a Christian atheist, the Bible calls you detestable, disobedient, unfit, a liar, a demon. Let me ask you, who are you today? When you look at your life, is it consistent or is it contradicting the message of your faith? You know, for our time today, I want to share with you three characteristics of a Christian atheist from Judges 17 and 18 and to test it against our lives here, okay? So here's the first characteristic that I want to share with you. A Christian atheist believes in God, but obedience is optional. Obedience is optional. Now, our story begins here with Micah and his mother, and his mother finds out that 1,100 pieces of her silver has been stolen, and she calls out this curse on the person who stole it. Now, Micah hears this curse, and he's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And he goes to his mom and confesses and says, mom, I took it all. Here, here it is. And the mother receiving this money is so excited that she thanks God by breaking the second commandment. That it says here that she gives 200 pieces of the 1,100 pieces of silver to make a carved and metal image of God. This was a big no-no for God here. Uh, Let me show you Deuteronomy 5.8. It says this. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in, in the water under the earth. So she made these carved images. And you got to be thinking, why in the world would she do this? Why would she make these carved images? It's because her son loved church. That her son loved church so much that he set up his own house of worship in his home and filled it with all these carved images. And just like his mom, this was also in complete disobedience to God's command. That in the time of Judges, there was a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a specific place and location. God said, worship me here. And this was in Shiloh, just a couple of miles away from Ephraim. And it's in this tabernacle, God also gave priests from the line of Levi who led the people in worship. And these priests also wore ephods, which were these breastplates that had stones on them, which is how God spoke to his people. This was how God instructed his people to come and to pray and to worship him. But Micah blows past all of this. Judges 17.5 says this, And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Micah builds his own chapel. He makes his own ephod and personally ordains his own son to be priest. And we read later on in verses 12 and 13 that Micah actually meets a real legitimate Levite and offers this Levite to become his personal priest. And the Levite accepts. Now, when you're reading this story here, there's a lot of disobedience that's going on. And maybe right now I'm being too harsh on Micah because maybe he didn't know better. He just didn't know better and he's just trying his very best here, okay? First, let me just say that even if Micah didn't know better, it still doesn't justify committing sin. It doesn't justify it. But here's the thing. He did know better. You know, Judges 17, 12 to 13 says this, after he meets the Levite. And Micah ordained the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Micah is not ignorant. He knows God's word. He knows that his son was an illegitimate priest. That's why he upgrades to a Levite. He knows that a priest needs an ephod. He knew what God wanted, yet he still disobeyed. This is the first characteristic of Christian atheism. You believe in God, but obedience is optional. You know, in the same way for many of us, it's easy for us to say, Jesus is my Lord, but what we really mean is that he's just Lord of some areas of my life. That God, you can go ahead and have this, but I'm going to keep this to myself. But like for Micah's mom here, she dedicated all 1,100 pieces of silver to God but in reality, how much does she give to the silversmith? She only gives 200 and keeps the 900 in her own pockets. How many of us are keeping things from God? Are you keeping back money, time, relationships, emotions? How many of us, instead of giving full obedience to God, we are just giving him partial obedience? You know, maybe for some of us here, on Sundays, you are a great Christian role model. You're serving, you're being friendly, you're being helpful, you're just a really great people person. But then Monday rolls around and you work just like anyone else. You're as ruthless as anyone else. You're as greedy and as unethical as anyone else. So great, you give God your Sunday morning, 
But the other six and a half days, you keep it for yourself. Or how many of us, maybe we're like Micah here, and we want to obey God, and we want to worship God, but you know what? It has to be on our terms. You know, we want to worship, but we want our worship to be like our food from Burger King. You know, I want to have it my way. I want music to move me. You know, I want the sermon to be funny, but not that funny. I I want the worship gathering to be meaningful, but hey, you better not make this too long because I'm getting hungry here, okay? I want, I want, I want. We might say that we're worshiping God when in reality, we're just worshiping our preferences. You know, this is what it means in verse 6, to do what is right in your own eyes. We need to understand that when you're doing right in your own eyes, it doesn't mean a full-out rejection of God. It doesn't mean that we stop calling on God. It doesn't mean that we stop all religious activity. Because when you look at the story, Micah and his mom, they were super religious. This was the problem, is that they did it their way and not God's way. That obeying God was totally fine as long as it was convenient and comfortable for them. For the Christian atheist, obedience to God is not central, it is optional. Here's the second characteristic of a Christian atheist. A Christian atheist believes in God, but they want to use and control him. They want to use and control him. You know, it's in verse 13. We see Micah's motivation is so that God would bless him. Look at verse 13 again. It says this. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. That this is why Micah has gone through all the effort of building that shrine, filling it with all these carved images, with making the ephod and getting a priest to work for him is so that God would bless him. What we need to see here is that Micah did not want a relationship with God. He wanted to control God through religion. Because religion says that it's my works that get me access to God so that I can make him do what I want him to do. When true faith says that I give God access to my heart so that he can do anything he wants in my life. Religion says God exists to serve me. When true faith says, I exist for God and he owes me nothing. If anything, I owe my entire life to him. Religion wants to make God small and make us big. This is why Micah's shrine is filled with all these carved and metal images because this was his way to control God. This was his way to make God into a cute, precious moment figurine here. It was his way to lock God up in a display case, to put him in this one room and to go to him whenever he wants to, when it's convenient for him. Notice, Micah was not worshiping another God. He was worshiping Yahweh. When the mom gives a curse, it's capital L-O-R-D. That is Yahweh. That is God's name. They're not believing in different gods, nor were they believing in no God. What was happening here is that they were worshiping a tiny God. They were worshiping a God that they had made. They were worshiping a God that they can manage, that was tame, that was controllable. Now, what does this look like in our lives. You know, for some of us, we started coming to church, you know, we're reading our Bibles, we're going to small group, we're cleaning up our lives, and some of you are saying, hey, Kenson, hold up here. Aren't those good things? Should I be doing those things? Isn't that what God wants? 
Well, it all depends on why. Are you moving towards God because you love him and your heart is filled with his grace? Or do you move towards him because you want something from him? That now you're beginning to do all these things, these things because, you know, God, I need you to make me healthy. God, I need you to save my marriage. God, I, God, I need you to make me happy. Now, let me just say, these are not bad things, and God can absolutely give you these things. But here's the question. Would you still want God even if you didn't get these things? Or let me ask it this way. Would you still want God if you knew you didn't need God to have it. A Christian atheist does not want God alone. They want what God can give. You know, another example of how we try to control God is that we can think that we're wiser than God. That when he doesn't give us what we want or when something happens to us that we think is unfair, that instead of trusting in his sovereignty and wisdom and goodness, we want to throw in the red flag. Uh, the red flag here is a football term, and football season's upon us here, right, where the coach throws out this flag to challenge a call, that when he throws it out onto the field, he is saying to the ref, you are wrong, and ultimately, they want the call reversed. And sometimes we want to do the same thing to God. We want to throw out that red flag and say, God, you're wrong, and you need to reverse this. God, your wisdom stinks. Mine is better than yours. So instead of trusting God, we blame God because he's not stepping up to our expectations. Religious people, Christian atheists, these are people who are convinced that God has to be good to me. God has to answer my prayers. He has to bless me. He has to give me a good life. He has to, he has to give me the spouse of my dreams because I'm doing everything right. He must give this to me. And this is not a teaching that's just thousands of years ago. This is teaching that is happening right now in some of our churches, that you're being told that if you love and serve God, God's going to bless you. Expect it. Demand it. And if he doesn't give you the blessing, you need to love and serve even more until he does. Church, let me tell you something. God is not someone we use. He is someone that we surrender to. Amen? Let me just share with you what St. Augustine said about this. Let me show you the quote. Uh, idolatry is worshiping what should be used or using what should be worshiped. Idolatry is using what should be worshiped. Here's the third characteristic of a Christian atheist. A Christian atheist believes in God, but they will love money more than mission. Love money more than mission. You know, in chapter 18, we have the tribe of Dan making their way through Ephraim, and a couple of things transpire here where the Danites go to war, and they possess this new land, and as they establish this new land, they do exactly what Micah does, and they want to build their own house of worship, and the way that they start this out is actually by going to Micah's house and clearing out his entire shrine. And right before the Danites go, they also realize that, you know what, our temple is also going to need a priest. So they offer Micah's Levite a job to work with them. Uh, let's read here, Micah, Judges 18, verses 19 and 20. See what happens here. And they, the Danites, said to him, this Levite priest, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to a house of one man 
or to be priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel. Verse 20, and the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved images and went along with the people. For the Levite, this promotion was way too good to pass up. Wait, are you telling me that I can move away from this house church and now I get to be part of a mega church? This is awesome. This Levite believed in God, but his ministry was motivated by greed and self-promotion and self-interest. This Levite cared nothing about the calling that God had given to his life to be a priest, to make God known. And what makes this even more tragic is that at the end of chapter 18, we finally get the identity of this Levite. Verse 30 in chapter 18 says this, And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Grisham, son of Moses. This Levite wasn't just any priest. He wasn't just some blip on the radar. He came from the line of Moses. He came from a man who knew God intimately. He came from a man who was a hero of the faith, a deliverer of Israel. This was his lineage. This was his calling. But instead of being sold out for God, he became a sellout. His devotion had a price tag that when the Danites offered him more affluence, more power, more prestige, more money, this made his heart glad. Friends, what makes your heart glad? This Levite had an incredible calling by God to represent him, to lead people to him, to show people what it was to have a relationship with God. His mission was to glorify God, but this did not make his heart glad. What made him glad was wealth, a comfortable lifestyle, success, big numbers. That made his heart happy. The desire for more, more money, more people, more power. This sidetracked him from his mission. How many of us have failed to embrace our incredible God-given mission to glorify God. How many of us have, have failed to embrace our God-given identity as the priesthood of believers and instead we have embraced the temptations of the world and money? You know, this is the great irony of money, that right on top of the dollar bill it says, in God we trust. And let me just show it to you here. Now, let's be honest here. This is not what's really happening in our hearts. That when we say we believe in God, it's really what's happening is that it's money that we're truly trusting in, that we're truly serving, that we're truly worshiping. That I want you guys to notice something, that this theme of greed actually goes throughout our two chapters. Notice this, that the Levite gives up his calling for more money. Micah steals from his mom for more money. That we see the mom cheating God by pocketing 900 pieces of silver and only giving God 200. Why? So that she can have more money. And also the Danites, when they clear the shrine out of all the carved images, it's because it's for more money. Think about this. When Micah offered the Levite priest a yearly salary, he gave him 10 pieces of silver. That was his salary. The mom says, Micah, here are 200 pieces of silver to make these carved images. So if we just did kind of our current day mathematics here, let's just say that a yearly salary here is $40,000, right? That's what the priest would have gotten. Multiply that times 20. These idols would have been costing about $800 thousand dollars and this shrine was 
filled with them. More money, more money, more money, more money. How many of us have sold out our calling in Christ for the American dream? How many of us have put the mission of Christ to make disciples in the background and put our own personal mission on the foreground? One of the most revealing ways to know if you're living as a Christian atheist is simply by looking at how you handle your money. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will live for God as your master or money will be your master. Friends, who are you living for today? What is making your heart glad? Is it God promotion or is it self-promotion? You know, the way our story ends here almost makes you feel pity for Micah. That the Danites here, they raid his shrine, they take all the carved images and idols, the ephod and the priest, they take absolutely everything. And Micah, we read, finally catches up to the Danites and he pleads with them in chapter 18, verse 24. He says this to them. And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? What have I left? And the Danites say to him, Micah, go home or we're going to go ahead and hurt you. And just like that, Micah sees all of it go away. All the things that he thought would bring him blessing were now gone. This is the moral of the story. When we for a small God, they will always disappoint. That if your real God that you're living for is money, career, power, relationships, children, and so forth, they will always disappoint you. That they cannot save and rescue you. That is why some of you are so frustrated with God because the circumstances of your life have gone so hard. But what you need to know here is that what is happening is not because God has let you down. What is happening is that your circumstances are just revealing that even though you say you believe in God, it's truly exposing what and who you are truly living for. It is showing you the little God that you have made first in your heart. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, just tweeted this a few days ago. And let me just show it to you. He said this, idolatry is not just a failure to obey God. It's a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. That is the problem for the Christian atheist. We set our hearts on something besides God. So where's the hope for the Christian atheists here? The hope for us here is at the very end of our story. Look at verse 31. It says this. So they, the Danites, set up Micah's carved image that he had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now the author and judges here decides to add a little bit of extra detail to say at the very end to all of us, there has always been another way. That Micah and his mom and the Levite and the Danites didn't have to make their own way to God. God had already made a way. It was in Shiloh. There was a true place to worship God. This was the place to know him, approach him, to live with him. That this tabernacle is where God said, you can come to me. That is at this tabernacle, you can center your life on me. In the same way, God has given us a place, he has given us a person to center our lives around, and that's Jesus Christ. That in John 1.14, it says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. It literally means that Jesus 
tabernacled with us. That it's in Jesus we can know God, worship God, be in relationship with God. It also says in Colossians 1.15 that he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. That this verse is saying that it's in Jesus Christ, you can stop living for those little gods. You can throw them away. You can throw all those idols away because God in his grace has given us a perfect image of himself. A perfect living image of what it is to worship him and it's in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not like these carved images where you can be overpowered and stolen and controlled and used because people have tried to do that with Jesus. That when Jesus was living on his earthly ministry, they tried to make him small. They tried to discredit him. They tried to falsely accuse him. That the devil tried to make Jesus a sellout by offering him power and prestige in the wilderness. And when none of this worked, they murdered him. It seemed like he was overpowered. And it seemed like the disciples were saying, what have I left? What have I left? That sin and death and suffering had won. But church, we know that on that third day, Jesus showed us who he really was. He was our victorious and risen and powerful Savior. This is the good news for the Christian atheist. God has made another way that we have a true place of worship, we have a true image of God that we can turn to, that we have a God that will never, ever disappoint us, and it's Jesus Christ. In Judges 17, verse 6, we're told the core problem of Christian atheism. Look at verse 6 again, chapter 17. In those days, there was no king in Israel. The reason we struggle with Christian atheism is because we believe, we live as though there is no king. All the problems in Judges and in Micah's life was because there was no king. Friends, I am here to remind you that you do have a king, and he will always be your king. And he's not just any kind of king. He is the king of kings. He's not just any kind of lord. He is the lord of lords, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he sits on his throne now, overlooking our lives. And I implore you, do not just say that you believe in him, live for him. That when Jesus says that we are to follow him, it means all that we have follows him. Amen? Amen. Let me just go ahead and give you two quick applications, you know, as we end here. First is this, we need to see things through God's eyes that we need to call sin and half-hearted obedience what it really is, that we need to say and just call it, you know what, I'm living as though what is right in my own eyes is more important than what is right in God's eyes. Call it what it is and repent of it and ask God to forgive us. And just as importantly, ask God to give us the grace to see our atheism. That just like Micah or the mom or the Levite or the Danites, I think if you were to talk to any of them, many of them would just say to you, like, you know what, you know, I don't really think I'm sitting here or what I'm doing here is that big of a deal. For many of us, our atheism is in our blind spot. That just like physical blindness, we all struggle with spiritual blindness. That we don't see Christ in all his glory. That we don't see all the horrors of sin. That we don't see all of our disobedience and ignorance. If we want to cure Christian atheism, we need to stop seeing things from our eyes and to see life from God's eyes. 
And the way we do this is by asking God to open our eyes and by opening up our Bibles. God has given us his word to help us to see what he sees. And here's the final application. Remember the omnipresence of God. You know, this is the great truth that God is everywhere and at all times. And we also know that one of the great gifts of Christ's salvation is putting the Holy Spirit in our lives. That God now tabernacles, not on some mountain or some building, but now he lives and he goes with all of us in our hearts. And when we have a healthy understanding of this, it will change the way we live. You know, my wife is a great mom and she runs a really disciplined house. She's raising three young boys and probably one older boy, which is me. And what I find so interesting is every time she walks into the house, everyone gets better. She comes in the house, and my older son right away puts away the video game and reads a book. Why? Because mommy is home. My middle son stops jumping on the couch and pulling on the shades. My infant son stops screaming and he takes his nap. And even for me, when mom comes in, I stop bumming around. I start cleaning the dishes, tossing the trash, doing the laundry. Why? Because mommy is present. And can I just say, this is also really interesting, that when she's not present, we still act like she's at home because at any moment, we know that she can call us, text us, or FaceTime us, and she's going to ask us, hey, guys. What have you guys been doing? And I want to make sure I give her the right answer. <laughs> Acknowledging her presence changes us. You know, I say that because in the same way, if we want to push back on our Christian atheism, we have to drive deep the beautiful truth of the omnipresence of God, that God is with us everywhere at all times, at our work, at our school, at our home, in the morning, at night, on the train, in the gym, in the hospital. He is everywhere. And that when we remind ourselves of this theological truth, it will change the way we live. And can I just share one more thing here? His presence with us is not to catch us doing wrong, but you guys know better. The reason he's with us is because he loves us as his, as his children. Amen? Amen. So once again, guys, who are you going to live for? Who are you going to be when you walk out those doors? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, would you forgive us? God, even for myself, just for the hypocrisy, for how Alice my heart's become to sin, you know, to be able to say in one hand how much I love you and my life showing something different. God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive us of that? God, would you help us through your Holy Spirit God, to obey fully and not partially. God, would you help us through your Holy Spirit to be sold out for Christ and not to be a sellout? God, would you help us through your Holy Spirit not to live for a tiny God, a reduced God, a weak God, but to live for a great, holy, and powerful God, the Lord of lords and King of kings. God, help us to walk out of here today, not only saying that we believe in you, but also living for you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.